0: years now, over 10 I think, June and I have been taking home communion to uh, people who can't come to church. And we go to private homes and we go to senior facilities. And for the last year, she and I have gone to Sunrise Senior Living about once every three months. And it's a facility behind crossroads. Uh, anybody know Sunrise Senior Living at Jeff Okay, so we go there, and we take communion, and there's probably three or four people that come, and so we serve them communion. Now, if you take communion in one of the traditional services at 9 or 11, you see on the altar a little blue box. It's about this big and about this high. Inside that little blue box is a little bottle of juice, a sleeve of cups and a little tiny zip bag with about six pieces of smashed bread. (laughs) Because it's inside the box. So, on January 3rd, June and I took this little box and the bag for communion to Sunrise Senior Living. And we had invited some friends and Jerry Pryor came to play the piano and Don Pryor to sing and Vicki to sing with us. And so we're in there and we're singing and the piano's playing and three or four people come in then three or four more people come in, and then the doors open, to, um, the elevators, and people are coming in with their wheelchairs and their caregivers, and we're singing, and pretty soon I'm saying out of the corner of my mouth to June, count um. <laughs> And she says, okay. So she starts counting, and then she comes to 13, and then more people come, more people come, more caregivers come. So pretty soon we have over 20 people. So <laughs> So as I'm sitting there and we're singing, I'm taking those little pieces of bread and I'm breaking them up into little pieces. And then more people come and more little pieces. And then I'm taking the little juice cups and I'm putting out more juice cups and I'm putting. So now everybody's got this much bread and this much juice. And June walks by me and she says, I hope this is the loaves and the fishes. And so. Bless the bread and broke it, and bless the cup, and 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 I'm going around, and and Jerry is playing, and they're singing, and, and I'm going around and saying, the body of Christ broken for you, and their little arthritic fingers are reaching out and trying to pick up this little crumb of bread, and then they're trying to take the little cup of juice, and we're not sure we have enough juice for everybody, and there's one person left, but the person before her had spilled everything. <laughs> but it was a wonderful time. And the Lord was there, and the Holy Spirit was there, and the Father was blessed, and everybody loved it. Next time, I'm I've told we're going to get more than one little blue box when we go in March. And if anybody want to join us, it's, hello, Mona. <laughs> the, Homebound deacons are the best deacons, right? (laughs) Nah, we're all good. But it's so wonderful to meet people face to face, and you too can be a homebound deacon. Okay, so this today, we're going to talk about more loaves and fishes, which is why I told my story. And I've um, titled this section, Supply and Demand. Um, Cherry, is my, did I push the button? Is it recorded? Does, are the numbers passing? No. Oh, yeah, it's, it's working. I just, I thought, oh, everybody's missed my wonderful story. Okay, so I've titled the section of this passage Supply and Demand because Jesus is going to supply healing, and he's also going to supply food for the people. But the demand is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to do. They're going to demand for a sign. And Jesus is also going to supply that sign. So in our previous verses that Mona taught us last week, in 15, Jesus tells the Canaanite Gentile woman that her faith is great. The woman knows who Jesus is and that he's there for her. And she knows that he is able to heal her loved ones. So, this is what Jesus says about her faith. Oh, woman, your faith is something else. What you want is what you get. And as Mona pointed out, this is the second time in Matthew that a Gentile's faith has been praised by Jesus. The first time was in Matthew 8, when the centurion understood The Lord's authority and Jesus says to the centurion taken aback I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust in Israel the very people who are supposed to know all about God and how he works this man is the vanguard of many outsiders who will soon be coming from all directions streaming in from the east pouring in from the west sitting down at God's kingdom banquet And so after the Syrophoenician woman, the Gentile, her daughter is healed, Jesus decides to go on the east side of the lake. And the east side of the lake, he has been up here with this woman. This side of the lake, of the Sea of Galilee, is mostly Gentiles. The Jews were over here. The Gentiles were over here in what was called the Decapolis. So he decides to go over into the Gentile side on purpose after he has healed this Gentile woman and seen her faith. So now he's going into this Gentile crowd. And in Matthew 15, 29, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Praising the God of Israel is something that a non-Israelite would say, and I love this crowd. The Pharisees and Sadducees mean nothing to them. The Ten Commandments, they don't know about. They don't know about legalistic rules. All they know is about Jesus. The blind and the crippled cannot bring themselves. So I see this crowd, strong men carrying crippled children, women leading their blind relatives, people who can't speak being brought by friends. This is a group action. Everybody working for everybody else. And this group is all about love and sacrifice and the effort. There are so many that this goes on for three days. A crowd of 4,000 men, it says, plus women and children. So you can at least triple that. More than 12,000 people. And they don't leave. And they praise the God of Israel. This must have given Jesus great joy. And Jesus' life, just like ours, is filled with moments of great joy and moments of great tension. And we are going to see that as he lived in tension later on in this passage. But this one is all about joy. So when, ladies... When you have a moment of great joy, treasure it. It's from your Heavenly Father. And when you get tension, know that Jesus has also been in tension, and he understands that, and he will carry you through it. So, this group um, get Jesus. They understand who he is more than anybody else. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Again, Matthew calls attention to Jesus' compassion. How long would you wait? How long distance would you travel with someone who needed to be healed? Jesus knows them. He knows what they need. And now he knows their hunger. Remember that he fasted for 40 days. So he knows what it's like to be weak, probably to be lightheaded. And the first question on your question was about being hangry. Well, that, that, that's not a New Testament word. It, it's, a, it's a word that means hungry and, what's the H stand for? Uh, hungry and, oh, angry. <laughs> okay. There you go. Oh, Charlotte, you missed my funny story, but I'll tell you later. OK. OK. <laughs> um, so so uh, extreme hunger means that you need to eat something or you can't travel. So I have spent my entire life chasing the adults that I love, telling them, you need to eat something, because they get a little irritable. Anybody else? Have that in the oh, good. I'm not the only one. I, of course, eat whenever I want. I have no problem with that. So Jesus called his disciples and said, "I've compassion for these people. They've been with me three days." And his disciples said, "Where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed this crowd?" So I wondered to myself, why are the disciples saying, "Wait a minute. We do, we know we've been with Jesus. He did this before. Let's see him do it again. The Lord, are you going to feed these people?" But no. They don't do that they say how are we going to feed these people how many loaves do you have Jesus says seven they replied and a few small fish so Jesus tells the crowd to sit down wouldn't you have loved to have been there all of a sudden he stands up they all see him and he say sit down all twelve plus thousand of you and they all look up and they all sit down What's he going to do? What's he going to say? And he takes the loaf and he lifts it to heaven and asks his Father to bless it. And he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples and they start passing it around. And he does the same with the fish. He lifts it up, he blesses it, asks his Father to bless it, he breaks it, and they start giving it out. Body and soul and spirit are being nurtured this day by jesus and they are praising the god of israel he is satisfying them and it's also satisfying for jesus he and his father are glorified and everyone is experiencing the love and joy of jesus and his father just like i told you about at the beginning the story of the communion that june and i did even though there was just little pieces of bread and little sips of juice Jesus was there, and everyone was having a wonderful time. The number of those who ate were 4,000 besides women and children. Now, in your questions, I ask you to compare side by side. <laughs> I won't ask how many of you did it. But I'm gonna, you can fill it in now if you want, because I'm going to tell you. So, the Jews, were, the primary Jews were in the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. Here in our passage, it's primarily Gentiles. Uh, it was near Galilee in Bethsaida. The 4,000 were in the Decapolis that I showed you on the map. It was five loaves and two fishes, seven loaves and a few fish. Twelve baskets were left over, seven baskets were left over. Uh, they were with Jesus one day and they were with Jesus for three days. Then the people in the 5,000 that are mostly Jews, want to make him king by force. And we know this from John 16, 14. After the people saw the sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. And Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And what do our Gentiles do? They praise the God of Israel. So, the difference in these two groups is key to understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do. And it's uh, key to our understanding of him and his mission. And it also holds a mirror to our prejudices. So, verse 39 After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into a boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. So he tells the people, Go home. Go home satisfied go home blessed, go home healed. These people see him and believe he is from heaven, and they ask nothing else. Their faith is simple, uncomplicated, and Jesus fills them. Now Jesus and his disciples cross to the other side of the lake, and they go from here over to Magadan on this side. The boat leaves the east side of Galilee And goes back to the west side where he's going to encounter the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the doubters. So first, before we go into this, I want to show you how Mark tells about this incident. In Mark chapter 8, it says the Pharisees came and began to question him, seeking a sign from heaven and testing him. And it says Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation, he says, seek a sign? So Mark here shows Jesus' emotion and reaction to these men. And as I created this slide, I got a text from a friend who is in deep difficulties. She was filled with the dread for an upcoming event. This woman loves the Lord, and her life right now is very, very difficult. And my first reaction was to sigh deeply in my spirit for this woman and what she is going through. So I wanted you to see how when you are sighing deeply in your spirit, that Jesus also knows that you're doing that, and he is sighing as well. Facing difficulty makes us sigh deeply, and Jesus can feel it. All right, let's turn to chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. wicked." An adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. And then it says, Jesus left them and went away. Matthew brings us into this word battle. Jesus calls them wicked and adulterous. I can understand wicked, but I've been thinking a lot about why did he also call them adulterous? I think that's a good question. I'd like to think about it even more. Jesus again leaves them and turns away in response to their opposition. But it is now a stronger word, the meaning to forsake or abandon. He has turned away from them. This is Jesus' last withdrawal from Galilee before his final trip south to Jerusalem in chapter 19. But I want you to look at this. Accept the sign of Jonah. Now, in your questions I said, read the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters and summarize it. I hope some of you did. I hope some of you even read it, because it's really a charming little book. And I think now is a good time to talk about it, because we're going to see what did he mean when he gave them, told them it was the sign of Jonah. But before we go into that, I'm going to review about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When um, we began in September, Kristen taught this when we went through Matthew 3. But I'm just going to give you a brief summary again. When the Pharisees and Sadducees come to John the Baptizer in Matthew 3, he says, you brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skin is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change, not your skin. The next conflict is in Matthew 9. Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his followers, and a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit, and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks? And riffraff. You see, they were separatists. Jesus, overhearing a shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Matthew 12, on the Sabbath, Jesus was strolling with his disciples through a, a field and they were hungry. They started picking the grain and munching on it, and the Pharisees said, Your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rules. And Jesus says, Really? Then you read about David and his friends who go into the, into the, um, when they're in the sanctuary when they're hungry, and they eat the bread off the altar. There's more at stake here than religion, he says. And to prove it, he heals a man on the Sabbath, and that makes them livid. And so they heard this report and they said, oh, "This is black magic, some devil's trick. He he shouldn't be healing people on the Sabbath." And so then he responds, "You have minds like a snake pit." How do you suppose that you say is worth anything when you are so foul-minded? It's your heart, not a dictionary that gives meaning to your words. But the Pharisees shoot back. Give us hard evidence that God is in this. How about a miracle? So, what do we have about these two groups? The Pharisees are the separate ones, and the Sadducees, another religious group, are called, they call themselves, we're the righteous ones. The Pharisees are ritualists and formalists. The Sadducees are liberals, rationals, free thinkers, and skeptics. The Pharisees are middle class, laymen, business owners, leaders of the synagogue, and the Sadducees are upper class, wealthy, high priests. The Pharisees hold strictly to the law for purity. The Sadducees focus on temple procedures, protocol, rituals, and liturgies. The Pharisees have their scripture, and then they add their oral tradition. This is the law, but this is what we think the law means, and then so you have to keep this rule. They add and add and add. The law of Moses uh, was taken, but changed by them. The Sadducees only the Torah, only the words of Moses, and they reject the oral tradition. The Pharisees believe in miracles, the Holy Spirit, Angels and resurrection from the dead, and the Sadducees, uh uh-uh, no miracles, no Holy Spirit, no angels, no resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees opposed Jesus for theological reasons, and the Sadducees opposed Jesus for social and political reasons. And you might add that these two hate each other like the most rabid Republicans and Democrats hate (laughs) each other. But they do understand one thing, and that is that in spite of their differences, the only way for each of them to survive is to destroy Jesus. And that's what they begin to do. So Jesus is unsparing in his denunciation of them. And he says, this wicked and adulterous generation Looks for a miraculous sign, but will none be given except the sign of Jonah. And I believe that our passage today is an illustration of the book of Jonah, and I'm going to show you why. What is the sign of Jonah? In Matthew 12, a few religious scholars and Pharisees come to Jesus looking for a sign, and he says, you're looking for proof, but you're looking for the wrong kind. All you want is something to tillate your curiosity to satisfy your lust for miracles. The only proof you're going to get is to look, it's gonna look like the absence of proof, Jonah evidence. He says, like Jonah three days and nights in the fish's belly, the son of man, that's the name tag he has for himself, remember I gave you a handout on what the son of man means, will be gone three days and nights in the deep grave. He goes on to say how the Ninevites will stand up and condemn this generation. But here, in our passage today, I think that the book of Jonah is for another reason held up to these people. Jesus goes on to say that the Ninevites will rise up and call this generation that he's talking to, they will rebuke them. So the Ninevites and the four chapters of the book of Jonah have something to say to us today. Jonah was supposed to speak for God, but if you read the book, you'll see that he's selfish, vindictive, unforgiving, who tries to manipulate God. Jonah hates his enemies and wants God to hate them too. The story, the four chapters of Jonah, are filled with irony and humor. This is not a book of a prophet giving words to people, but it's a story about a prophet, and it is actually funny. What could be funnier than someone saying, oh, just kill me, throw me in the water, and God takes a fish, swallows him up, he wanted to die, but no, God's going to preserve him for three days, and in the belly of the fish, he repents, well, he doesn't really repent, but he tells God that, that he, okay, I'll do what you say. And so then, what could be funnier than this fish vomiting this person out, It's humor. Jonah is still unrepentant, but he's going to go anyway. In this story of Jonah, the believers are all despised people. The first set of believers are the sailors who say, no, we can't throw you in. I mean, the storm is raging. No, we can't do this. No, Jonah says, just throw me overboard. I want to die anyway. And then it says the sailors worship the God of heaven. Gentiles, sailors, they worship the God of heaven. Later, who's going to believe? The hated Ninevites. And Jonah had already told them five words in his little sermon. And they're going to believe. And it says in the book, not only did they all become believers, but their animals all became believers. So it's a funny book. What does it mean to us? God doesn't care that these people don't know the Ten Commandments or follow Jewish traditions. The story holds up a mirror to each of us, to you and to me. If God is ready to forgive and include, why aren't we ready to forgive and include? It just makes Jonah so mad that God is merciful. He even loves the, the plant more than he does these people. You have to read the book. Four chapters. Go home and read the book. So when Jesus says to these men, I'm, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, do you think they go home and read Jonah? I hope they do. Because it's a mirror of what they have what has just happened. Jesus has gone to the Gentiles. He has loved them. He has healed them. They praise the God of Israel. He gives them everything. Then he comes to them, and they want him to follow his rules. Because they don't like those people. And they want him to do what they want him to do, just like Jonah wanted God to do what he wanted him to do. And God is bigger than that. And that's the mirror of the book of Jonah. Will we see our false traditions and our self-righteous attitudes? Clearly. Jesus knows that these Pharisees and Sadducees will not. Clearly, this is what Jesus wants them to see and that he is going to be doing by healing and feeding the Gentiles. Okay, let's get back to our scripture. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. They went back over the lake, away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Be careful. Jesus says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples are discussing among themselves, is it because we didn't bring any bread? (laughs) Aware of this discussion, Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Now, in Mark 8, he also reports this, and he says, he left them, the Pharisees and Sadducees, got back in the boat and headed to the other side, but the disciples forgot to pack a lunch. (laughs) Except for a single loaf of bread, there wasn't a crumb on the boat. And they're arguing because who forgot to bring a lunch? Now, in my imagination, this is the way I picture this happening. And I love this scene because it gives me a glimpse, maybe a little glimpse, into the mind of Jesus. I picture they're all in this boat. The disciples are in the back of the boat. Jesus is in the front. They're going across the lake. I can hear the wind in the sails. And feel the boat gently splashing on the water. You can hear the water splashing. He's up in the front of the boat. And if you have ever had a horrible confrontation with someone, you know that after that happens, you kind of rehash it in your mind. And he's thinking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's saying to himself, oh, these people are worse than knees in bread because they're just going to spread this wickedness and adultery. And it's just going to grow and grow and grow. In the meantime, the disciples are arguing the back because they don't have lunch. So he turns to them and he says, oh, beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they go, well, is it because we didn't bring bread? (laughs) Okay, so what is he going to say to them? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and the basketfuls you gathered, or the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How did you understand I was not talking about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the book of Jonah. Don't be like Jonah. Then they understand he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in the bread against the teaching of the pharisees and the sadducees oh now we get it well maybe they do and maybe they don't but anyway on your tables today this is the end of our of our scripture on your tables today i have made a little handout because as i was going over this I okay so okay lord what do you want to teach me about who you are and what do you want to teach me about what you want me to do so we're going to just go over this together and and I have suggested to as many of the leaders that I could get to this morning, as you go over this, if and there might not be enough for everybody, so just share. Circle the one that maybe you think Jesus wants you to know about him today. Or circle one that you might have learned more about yourself today, if you would like to share it in your group. It's just, it's just something extra. You can do it or you can't do it. It's, it's up to you when you're leader. Okay, so what's the first thing that I learned about Jesus today and that we learned with the Syrophoenician woman is that Jesus is amazed at faith in him. He always treasures when someone has faith in him. Other passages in Scripture say that heaven is looking and they applaud when people have faith in Jesus. So we are created for faith In Jesus. That's what we were created for, to believe in Him. Then I learned that Jesus goes outside of religion to come face to face with people. And I think that Jesus has created us to get out of our little bubble. I live in such a nice bubble. I have a nice Christian husband, I have nice Christian friends, I go to a nice Christian church. But how do I get out of my bubble if I'm not working or if So maybe it's somebody at the grocery store, or somebody in your coffee shop, someone. Get out of your bubble and speak to them and say hello. Jesus gets out of his religious circle to come face to face with people, and so should we. Jesus touches each person according to the need. We are created to see and meet needs. Jesus shows emotions of compassion and grief and we are created to feel things deeply and to take it to prayer and to ask our Heavenly Father to bless them. Jesus knows about physical needs and spiritual needs when he took care of the people and they praised the God of Israel. We are created to understand our body, soul, and spirit as one and to know how to take care of our physical and spiritual needs. Jesus is not afraid of those who attack him, we are created to live without fear of others, and to and to help people understand that you don't need to be intimidated by bullies. Jesus was uh, attacked by bullies, but he was not intimidated by them. Jesus wants us to understand his metaphors here in the story today. It was the yeast, but he has he's full of metaphors, the parables our wonderful stories and allegories. things Jesus says that he wants us to understand, and so sometimes we have to dig a little deeper to understand his metaphors, and we are created to do that. Jesus explains himself when misunderstood by his friends. And we are created to be committed to our friends, and when you have a misunderstanding, to take the time and listen, and to explain, and to have them explain. Jesus knows who he is and what he's called to do in our passage today. <clears throat> we are created to know who we are in Jesus and what we are called to do. Jesus gives us the sign of Jonah, God's mercy and love for all. And we are created to show mercy and love for all. Kristen, we have a special guest. Do you want to come up? Kristen Hoover is here today, and she's just going to give us a little report about her life, and then we're going to have a time of prayer for her. Go ahead. Turn it off. Okay. She wants me to turn it off. <laughs>